So we are in a series that we're calling, Can I Get a Witness? And we've gone step by step, and the word is so true because every single message has been gooder and gooder and gooder, and God just keeps getting gooder and gooder. And that's not like real grammar, but that's just how it works. And uh, last week I had the, con- uh, had the opportunity to teach on to you uh, this concept of witness protection. And long story what we, long story short, what we understand is that in a lot of different like court cases and a lot of different things that happen in law, that sometimes it's only one person's word that can set somebody free, right? It's one person's word that will make the conviction stick. And one thing that we know is that we have to protect other people by telling the truth. So we started to talk about the guy named Paul. Do you remember that? Paul, how he was on his way to go and persecute some people. His name was Saul at the time. And then what happens? A bright, shining light hits him and the men that he's with. He has a Damascus experience. God changes his name and also changes his purpose. Because sometimes in our lives, we can be going in a direction and know exactly where we're going, have an encounter with God and the assignment change. Amen. You can be like, I know what I'm doing. This is what I'm purposed for. I know I'm going in the right direction. And God says, take a left at Albuquerque. The question in your obedience is how quickly do you turn? So Paul makes the decision, you know what, God, I'm going to start trying to win the people that I was trying to enslave. Paul goes from I'm going to kill these folks to now I want to promote the message that they were trying to teach me. The people meet Paul. Paul scares the heck out of them because they're like, bro, you still got blood on your shirt from the last city. And Paul ends up saying something that I didn't get to get to last time, but Paul ends up saying later on in the chapter, he says, I've harmed no one. What we're going to talk about today is how when you protect your witness, you protect others. When, you, when we live our lives according to the word of God and genuine, not weird, genuine, not holy spiritual, genuine, not like the person that's like, trying to baptize every single person in their spit because they know the word. Yeah, the person at the grocery store could care less about the word. They want to know, does it work in your life? So we're going to talk today about witness protection part two. Can you say part two? So here we go. Let me give you guys some context. A witness is a person who has seen or heard something and is able to communicate their experience accurately. We talked about a little bit last week is that Everything that comes out of every person's mouth is not the truth. Amen. Everything that somebody says is not something that you can believe. And nine times out of ten, some things that are truthful aren't 100%. We talked about how there are different ways to measure growth. There's different ways to measure if something is healthy. Remember we talked about how, like, the lights don't fill up a church, right? The, the stage doesn't fill up a church. An iconic pastor that can teach well doesn't fill up the church. Like the building doesn't fill up a church. What fills up the church is people. So that's how we measure our growth. But Paul, in this story that I'm about to read to you in context, starts to write to the Roman church because the Roman church has built this amazing building. It's elaborate. There's like gold on the toilets. That's ridiculous. Like, have you ever been to Vegas? I think like the most beautiful bathrooms are in Vegas. Anybody been to Vegas? You walk into the bathroom and you wondered if you're checking into your room. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. Like, they have, like, couches and, like, soda machines. Like, it's, it's amazing. They have, you can gamble while on the toilet. That's pretty dope. But what Paul tells the Romans is he says, it doesn't matter how beautiful the building is. If the people on the inside are ugly, they're not coming. You remember that little thing that you used to do as kids? Here's the door. Here's the steeple. Open it up. There's a whole bunch of hypocrites. No, no, no. The people? Okay, here's the, here's, the, here's the door. 
here's the steeple, open up the door, and there's a whole bunch of hurt people. Okay, let's, let's try it again, Miss Lisa. Ready? Okay. <clears throat> here's the, here's the, open up the, and here's all the, the real people, the relevant people, the people that know that their testimony helps save somebody's soul. You ready for it? All right, let's open up our Bibles. Romans 14, 1 through 23. Now, it's going to kind of sound like we're regurgitating, but I got to set the, the context because I didn't get to it last week. Amen? So here we go. Romans 14, 1 through 23. And the context of this, of this, of this passage in the Word is so interesting because Paul basically, uh, he, he names it the danger of criticism. How many of you guys have ever heard it? When you point one finger at somebody, how many pointed back at you? Three. Multiple times when we look at the Word, it says that for everything that you do to another person, somebody else is holding you with that responsibility. So let's talk about it. He says, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in faith. Department. Remember that they have their own history to deal with. Treat them what? Gently. Verse 10. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty what? You look pretty stupid when you, when you chastise somebody, knowing that our lives aren't always clean. How many of you live a perfect life? I did, didn't, didn't think so. All right. Or worse, eventually we're what? All going to end up kneeling where? Side by side where? In the place of judgment facing who? God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there, there one bit. Read it for yourself in scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will do what? Tell the honest truth that I and I am, uh, that I, uh, that I and, and alone I am God. So tend to your knitting. This is where I ended up. Tend to who's knitting? Your knitting. Stop cheating off of other people's tests. Sitting in your house telling somebody that their house is dirty and you still got dishes in your sink. Tend to who's knitting? Yours. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. So this is the new, this is the new context. Are you ready to lean in today? You ready to lean in online? You ready to lean in? Let's do it. So verse 15, I'm sorry, verse um, 13, it starts to get really weird because Paul I honestly believe that Paul was on sabbatical. How many of you guys know that, you, how many of y'all take vacation from work? You work with some people that you love them, but sometimes I don't like Bob today. Like, Bob, it's Monday, 7 o'clock, and you walked in with an attitude. Sir, we got five more days of this. I'm going to need you to grow up a little bit. Well, sometimes in ministry, that same thing happens because, like, we're not just dealing with people, but we're dealing with emotions. We're dealing with hurt. We're dealing with pain that we didn't cause, but we are being held responsible to help work through. So it's really tough, but it's the work that we've been called to. But sometimes, don't you know that some people need a break? Look at your neighbor. Say, you can't help anybody if you are helpless. So I have this analogy, and it's theory. It's not biblical. I'm a Bible nerd, so I hope I would know. Um, but Paul, I think, is like chilling out and relaxing by the pool. Maybe the Fresh Prince Mansion, because you know it's on Airbnb now. Anyway, that's irrelevant. 
But I think he's on sabbatical and he keeps getting all these letters from all of these churches that are like, we built these amazing buildings. We got a, we got an overhaul over here. We got this new children's pastor over here. We got, we can see 10,000 people in the service, but there's nobody here. I think that Paul was getting tired of receiving these letters because he was trying to tell them it's not about the building. It's about how are you building the people? So Paul starts to go in on all these different, on all these different groups. Are you ready? Verse 13, he says, forget about what? Deciding what's wrong for each other. At this point in time in the church, they were literally fighting over which shoe you took off first. They, they, they were fighting and saying that women had to sit on the left side and men had to sit on the right side. And the people in the crowd were like, my left or your left? Like they were literally kicking people out of church because they had gray hair, because they ate fish with scales, because they ate like the crab legs. How many of y'all like red lobster? The same deliverance for those Android users, it's going to be for y'all out there too. But they started to use all of these things, these descriptors to kick people out of church when none of that stuff keeps them. How many of you know that what you wear doesn't matter to God? How many of you know that if you put cereal in the bowl or milk in the bowl first, God could make no never mind about that? God doesn't make weaker sex. He doesn't make men more powerful than women than vice versa. In the word, it actually says, husbands submit to your wives and wives to your husbands. But we only read the first part. Like the word on all bases takes care of every single excuse that we could keep to keep somebody out. Matter of fact, every time that you see Jesus, every time that you see any of his disciples, they're with the people that most people would turn their nose up to because God knows that the people in the church don't need him. The people out there do. So this is what Paul ends up saying. Listen to this. He says, here's what you need to be concerned about. And I want you to underline this. What does it say? That you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced Jesus convinced me. That everything as it is unto itself is what? Holy. We, of course, by the way, we treat it or talk about it can contaminate it. The way in which you talk about somebody when they are not there can poison them. What we see as just small-time gossip. Girl, did you see such and such? Man, praise and worship was trash today. Can you believe that they moved me over here? You have now poisoned the church that you call home. On your way home to your husband or your kids. Girl, I can't stand. I'm about to go to these bad kids. You have now contaminated the gift that God has given you. Look at your neighbor and say, life and death. It's not in the power of your tongue. Life and death is your tongue. You just started screaming and healing the song saying what? The Lord bless me. And how many of you believed it? Well, what about when you said like, man, I'm feeling sick today. What about when you said, I really don't feel like going to work? How in the world is God going to work against your will? You're just like him. So the minute you say it in the word, it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth pastor martin taught a message a couple weeks ago that god limits himself you want to know something write this down this isn't in my sermon but you need to know it god limits himself to your voice god i'll never be i'll never be rich okay we're never going to get it together all right god christmas and thanksgiving is always going to be awkward in our family so let it be written you just said it on earth let me make it happen. So in church, if we talk about the same people that need God and then question why the purple seat is empty and that person that's addicted 
that's dealing with their sexual immorality, that's dealing with how they see themselves, that's dealing with their sexual orientation, that's dealing with addiction, all these other things are not here. The question is, is have you already condemned them with your mouth before you saw them with your eyes? Paul starts to get on the church's case. He says, the building is beautiful, but you're ugly. How many of you know that sometimes somebody can look at you and you can tell you're not accepted? You don't have to say anything. Where we're from, they burn a cross. They burn a cross in the front of your yard. And we appreciate it because it's like, now I know where you are. But the worst thing in the world is two-faced church people that say, I love you in the hallway and talk about how bad your kids are at home. That say, hey, good morning to you when they're serving but can't stand the fact that the people that come from the lifestyle that they were delivered from are now sitting next to them. If you were an alcoholic when you came to Christ and God has delivered you, you should be sniffing out Jack and Daniels. You should be looking for Ciroc. Is that vodka? Oh, that's another opportunity for me to witness to somebody about something that God has delivered me from rather than condemning the person from a life that you used to live. Can I talk to somebody this morning? So Paul says feels different this morning. Paul says, we, of course, by the way we treat it and talk about it, can contaminate it. Verse 15, listen to this. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? Who did you vote for? Does it matter? Because we, I thought we lived in a kingdom. I thought that we served a king, not a president. I thought we served a king, not a magistrate. Like we serve, we, we serve a man that wears a crown, not a person that gets in by votes. Paul's like, y'all are worried about what people are eating and you haven't even been able to show them the sanctuary. Like, you've, you, like they haven't even made it past the front door and you're questioning what they're wearing. Look at your neighbor and say, wearing shorts is not unholy. Seeing women's ankles and knees, oh, that's not unholy. There's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love of God, but humans, we do a really good job of separating ourselves from people that we think we're better than. He says, if you confuse others by making a big deal out of what they eat or they drink, you're no longer a companion with them in love. These, remember, are persons from whom Christ died. Look at your neighbor and say, Christ died for everybody. Zoom in, please. AWC online, he died for everyone. Even if you're in an apartment and that person in 201, you're in 202, is loud, and they don't, they, they loud, God died for them too. I know, I get it, but they died for him too. <laughs> Listen to what he says. He says, would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. So you can use prayer to poison someone. You ever had somebody pray for you and after they were done, you were like, did she like, did she just, wait a minute, one second, did she, did she just come for me? How many of you guys know that nine times after 10, when somebody says, hey, I don't mean to be rude, but they, they mean to be rude. <laughs> I don't mean to be racist, but, huh? <laughs> I don't mean to be ignorant, but, uh, like, 
Dr. Miles used to say, your ignorance is showing. And people, when they didn't know him, they'd be like, what? Ah. Like, you, 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 you just got it. It was just like that. That was the same reaction. It was the, sa- it was the same reaction. We can't send people to hell for the things that God wants to save them for. How do we go from teaching a message that if you were an alcoholic and if, and if you were dealing with sexual orientation and all that other stuff, God can save you and deliver you. And then when you want to bring that to church with the person that's still in the lifestyle that you used to be and we damn that person. It's almost like the church has a threshold. We can deal with 10 people getting their life together at a time. Once these 10 are here, like we don't want any more. 10 alcoholics, but we got to finish the, these 10. Who am I talking to? Like we can deal with these 10. And then once one of them is, is say, bring in another one. No, no, no. God says that he is a strong tower that all run into and are saved. Look at your neighbor. Say, the church is about to smell a little bit. It's about to look a little bit different than your house. It's about to look a little bit different than your comfort zone. But how many of you guys know that where it is the darkest, where it is the dirtiest, where it is the coldest, where it is the most condemned, that's where light shines the brightest. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat, you're no longer a companion. Listen to this. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do, what, do that, and you'll kill two birds with only one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. Listen to this. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I feel sometimes we give you four points and a chicken wing, and, like, we don't get to the word. Like, I want to give you something to actually chew on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is, how many of you guys have, like, those um, ship-to-home services? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they ship you all the food and you cook it? That's what this is. I'm prepackaging the chicken, the broccoli, the noodles, so that you can go home and cook this meal yourself. Amen? Here we go. Verse 29. It says, so let's agree to use all of our energy in getting along with each other. Wait a minute. So we're not supposed to use our energy trying to figure out how the application works? You don't want us to use our energy figuring out how worship works? You don't want us to figure out our energy even figuring out the sermon? No. What does Jesus say? Let's agree to use all of our energy getting along with each other. Can't we always get along? Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. When you intentionally look for something to hate in someone, you will always find it. If you want a reason to hate somebody, look hard enough, you'll find it. If you want a reason to condemn someone, if you want a reason to throw somebody away, if you want a reason to have another week when in your marriage you and your wife aren't talking, it's there. The question is, are you really willing to dig in through all of it while hurting the other person? Because you can't dig and find something in somebody and not hurt them in the process. It's kind of like when you get shot. In order to get the bullet, if you don't have any anesthetic, I got to dig inside of the wound to get the bullet. The question is, is it worth putting the person in pain to prove that you're right? What's more important, being right or being reconciled? Look at your neighbor. Which is more important? Online church, which is more important, being right or being reconciled? Please write it out. And if there's more rights out there, I'm coming through your phone, I swear. So listen to what he says. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. So you can use your spiritual gift to manipulate people. I see the Lord saying that 
this ain't your husband, knowing that they're happy. I don't, I don't, in my spirit, I don't think he's him. Did the Holy Spirit talk to you? Because at an AWC, we only become a part of relationships that are brought to us and we're asked to be a part of. Man, I really don't think that this business is going to work for you. Do you know how much money I've put into it? Do you know the employees? Do you know how much I have invested? All things are good with God, but it's people that contaminate them. The church is perfect, but we contaminate it. The word is perfect. The gospel is perfect. But how many of you guys know that in our history, the epilogue of humanity, that the word of God has been used to condemn more people than it's saved? Crusades, they murdered people in the name of God. In other countries, they are cutting people's heads off in the name of God. In other countries, like, like in like our, 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 our European countries and in like these, these uh, African countries, like they are literally neutering women in the name of God. Right? Like taking out their reproductive organs to say, you've are, like, you're not, like, like, what, like we're doing all of this in the name of God. And then what happens is, is that people start to hate a God that loves them because we have become a dirty filter. How many of you guys drink Brita? You have a filter, right? How often do you change the filter? Once a year? Once every two years? I start changing that thing when I start looking in the glass and I don't know what's in there. Yeah, we got to get a new filter. We just bought it yesterday. Yeah, we need to get a new filter. Because I know that what's in that cup needs to be the cleanest and the most pure when it comes into me. So when I ended the sermon last week, that was the analogy of the orange juice and the mouthwash. Mouthwash in itself is beautiful. Your testimony, glory be to God. God's glory, the orange juice is perfect by himself. But you can mix two perfect things and come up with something that is destructive. The question is, when we introduce God to our people, do they, does it end up tasting and smelling like us? Or does it taste and feel like the goodness of a God that loved them, that created them on purpose? Here we go. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. What does it say? When you sit down to a meal... The meal is like the prophetic. It's the spiritual view of like being in God's presence, understanding the word, a life group, like having people around you. How many of you guys have like are in a book club? Like, man, this book is, is, is really changing my spirit. Can I get some? You can get four women and read a book. You know how life changing it is? That's even more life changing than what I'm doing right now. Once it gets right outside, you love to play basketball. You playing basketball for two hours and praying with some young guys is more ministry to them than me doing it because I don't like basketball. What Paul says is that whatever your food is, serve that. What, whatever, whatever you do, serve that. If you cut hair, don't cut hair silently. Ask questions about your, your clients. Hey, dog, you all right? You walked in a little bit different than you did last week. Is everything cool? Like, that changes the way that everything happens. You know what I'm talking about? When you walk into the office, how many of you are business owners? You should, you should fire yourself if you do not know the middle name of every single person that works for you. What's their favorite color? What do they eat? What you're telling them is that we're here to get a check. That's great. But how are you doing? Brittany's been walking into your establishment for the last four months with her head hanging down. Her eyes are swollen because she's been crying. And all you're worried about is that you checked in two minutes late. Maybe Brittany is going through some stuff at the house that makes it impossible for her to get here at, on time. What does it do to you to give her five minutes of leeway? The clock isn't is 9 o'clock, but it's 9.05. Hey, you know what? Sit down. I'll clock you in. Do you need some coffee? 
When you begin to serve people in your lane, God will bring people to you. You don't have to go out and try to find people to tell about the goodness of God. They're all around you. Look at your neighbor. Say they're around you. They're in your house. They're at your job. They're at that, that, that same thing every Tuesday. If I followed you by the two weeks, like I say, okay, they go to the gym on Tuesday. Then they go to Starbucks at 6 o'clock in the morning. Like, I'll be able to know your routine. When you're there, just by saying thank you or saying please, that's ministry. When was the last time that you intentionally tipped somebody what they're worth, not what the percentage was? Well, the, 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 the gratuity is supposed to be 15%. And did they, was, your, was your water ever empty? Well, no. Then they deserve an extra Sorry, an extra five dollars to cut out because the enemy didn't want y'all to tie. I, I see what's going on. <laughs> to tip, to tip, tie, tip, tie, tie, tip. Yeah, it's good. When you sit down to a meal, is this good? Your primary concern should not be to feed your own face. Listen to this, verse twenty-two. This is the instruction that I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna break down in a couple of points right here. Verse twenty-two. Verse what? Twenty-two. Just want to make sure you're here. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. That's crazy. You can introduce somebody to something and not impose them. Introducing is, hey, you thirsty? Here's some water. You ain't thirsty? Bet, no worries. Imposing is, I'm gonna make you drink it. How many of you know that orange juice is amazing, but if you choke on it, you'll never drink orange juice again? God is perfect in all of his ways, but if you shove it down your 12-year-old's throat, no wonder they don't want to come to church. You're going to church. At what point do they make the decision of the God they want to serve? Because when you die and you're gone, you can't tell them in your spirit, go to church, or I'm coming to whoop you. If they go to this church, they know familiar spirits. We tell them, yeah, if you ain't got a body and you're just a spirit, you a ghost. You got to go somewhere. <laughs> Here we go, verse 22. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't do what? Impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. God says you're fortunate if what you believe about me and how you act is even correct. You're trying to impose on them how to love me and you still have flaws. You're trying to tell somebody how to worship and you don't even worship. Your part posture isn't even right. Like you're sitting there going nuts and going crazy and the people believe that you know God, but God's like, I see your heart and it's dead. So how are you going to tell somebody that's running around the church who you don't know why they're running around the church? You don't know if they had a daughter that passed away or an aunt that got cancer or they got family in their life that's literally like banished them. Like, we don't want to see you anymore, Josh. Don't come to the house anymore. But I grew up with you. You have no idea the purpose of somebody's praise. What God says is worry about yourself. The only thing that you can gauge if it's genuine is what you give. Oh, she seems fake. Do you know her? Maybe she just had a bad... Can people just have a bad day? Can people have a bad year? You ever had a bad 365 days consecutively? It's like, I don't know what it is, but every day it feels like it ain't it. Isn't it interesting that we beg for people to give us the benefit of the doubt, but we never benefit other person's doubt? Well, she had an attitude today. Her father passed away two weeks ago. You showed up late for your serve. Well, her son has a bowel issue. So she had to clean him up before she came to serve. Is that, is that all right? Like, then we start to condemn people for not being here on time and doing what we call church. But look at your neighbor and say, church is relationship. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, church is relationship. 
But if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're, not, that, that you're out of line. If the, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. What did I say? If the way is not consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. Point number one, we're going to learn how to protect our witness today. You ready? Point number one, somebody say your actions build your witness. At the end of this sermon series, we're called to go out into all of the world. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean like there are other worlds and other planets. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to go to like Nigeria or Syria. But sometimes you're, like, where your mission field is is at your job. Sometimes your mission field is that walk that you take every single day. You see those two elderly women that are always struggling with their trash can, sir. You're well-bodied and well-able. But you see these women every single day. That might be your mission field. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 15 through 21. It says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Verse 16. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Sometimes when you're questioning if he's supposed to be the one that you're supposed to date, if he has bad fruit, it's not because the fruit is being spoiled. Maybe it's just bad fruit. But I can change him. I love him. He's bad fruit, sis. He needs some fertilizer. What is he planted into? He needs some water. Where we from, we call them crap apples. You eat too many of them, they're sour, and they would tear your stomach up. You got to eat them when they're red, not when they're green. Let's pick husbands and wives and date people that are mature. They won't hoop on that one. You see, Natari, they ain't ready for that one. That was for you. Okay. That was for you. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped where? Down and thrown into the fire. You, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruits, so can you identify people by their actions. One thing that builds your witness when you go to witness to somebody, when you go to tell somebody about the love and care of Jesus, is when your life actually speaks of it. This is how your life speaks of it. Your actions. When you walk past something in the, in, in the hallway, trash, do you walk past it? Do you bend over and pick it up? When you see somebody in your house struggling with their chores, do you help or do you tell them, no, it's Tuesday, that, that's not my job? When you see parents are struggling financially as a child, do you get upset because you don't have all of the bells and whistles in the house or are you just happy that you have a roof over your head? When you see that your pastor, when you see that your leaders are really just trying to figure out, do you change churches because you're uncomfortable? It's not the same. This church isn't cool enough, so I'm going to another church. Really? Because sometimes the grass that's green on the other side is poisoned. Look at your neighbor and say, your witness is built by your actions. Number two, forgiveness builds your witness. Listen to this. You can't love some people and be a witness to all. Isn't it interesting that we are having a debate in our country over racism? Is that, like, let's... And if, you're, if your stomach is being churned by this conversation, then you, welcome to AWC, right? Like, we are having a debate over sexual trafficking. 
we, we are having a debate at what level we teach children about reproducing in school. Should we start in the third grade? It's really interesting that we would like to create policies and laws for some people, but then demand that they act like the rest of them. But how many of you know that I can't expect you to do well if I cut, if I cut your legs off? It's like expecting you to run a 100-yard dash and I cut your legs off. You're not going to do well. Why? Because I've made it difficult for you already. We can't believe that freedom is only for some people. And how many of you guys know that the true disease that we're dealing with right now isn't, isn't, isn't COVID, but it's this disease called offense? Let's talk about it. Matthew 18, 15, 20. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Point one. Somebody hold up a finger. One. That's the first part. Somebody gets on your nerves, piss you off, what do you do? Hey, dog, that wasn't it. I didn't like that. Go to them personally. If the person listens and confesses that you have won that person back, yes, sir, we in there. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The second part is that if I go to you and your rusty tail look at me and say, I don't want to forgive you, I'm supposed to go and find two other people to bring to you. Isn't it interesting that when you follow the word of God, some people will curse you out. I don't want my business out here in the streets. Sweetheart, this is so that we can keep it private. This is not your business being in the streets. If you want your business in the streets, I can make sure and gladly oblige you. If I come to you face to face, that's not, that shouldn't offend you. That should tell you I'm coming to deal with it with you so that nobody else is in our business. Stop trying to use the word of God in this altar to air out people's business in front of people that aren't a part of the issue. It's so interesting. The person that prays the loudest isn't so much worried about the person's deliverance, but more so about embarrassing the person. Went to a conference one time, and this young lady was being prayed for. And this lady, I mean, I'm telling you, like the Holy Spirit was there, and she was going in. And she, and, and she, was, she, she, was, uh, she, she was praying for her really loud, like, I pray that God bless you, and blah, 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 blah. And she said, and this spirit of fornication, as loud as for everybody to hear. And the young lady that was there receiving ministry immediately shut down. Even though what the lady was saying was right, now what you have done is you have embarrassed me in front of people that don't know my story. How you introduce somebody to the group will be the way that they found how they see that person. If I introduce myself to your group of friends loud and think I'm a know-it-all, you're going to be like, oh, God, you're going to be a nickname. Here comes know-it-all Josh. Here comes loudmouth Josh. What we have to do is we have to protect people by realizing that when I forgive you and when we come together, we keep it private. The issue that you have with your brother sometimes doesn't need to be prayed for. One of you needs to lay down. But if you are unsuccessful, take one another person with you. If the person still refuses to listen, what does he say? Take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. You, how many of y'all be running from the tax man? Don't put your hands up. You'd be like, I ain't paid taxes in two weeks. No, don't, don't do that. What we understand is that when you go to witness to somebody about how good God is, but you still have unforgiveness in your heart, they can't get God correctly. When you say that this is guy, this man named Jesus that's changed my life, and they're like, weren't you just talking about Susan yesterday? And doesn't she go to your church? Isn't that y'all on the gram taking a picture together smiling? Because how many of you guys know that a profile picture is not the truth? A Facebook post, me and mine are doing well. These people are hurting in their homes. Facebook is a facade. I don't believe Facebook. You should go knock on the door and be like, y'all good? Show me. 
I'm unoffended. You can't do nothing to offend me. And homegirl crying. Ah, well, she typing it. No, you're hurt, ma'am. And if you're broken and if you're hurt, you can't reach people because they're going to get God through your brokenness. Point number three, your private life builds your witness. Somebody say, what's done in the dark? Comes to the light. We're looking to be real, relatable, and relevant. Not cool. Real, relatable, and relevant. The person that has never heard God, that has never heard about Jesus when you meet them, doesn't want to hear that you're blessed and highly favored. Because they don't even know what you're talking about. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, God has surely blessed me. We scare people away from the presence of God because they're like, yeah, that's weird. And it's October. Yeah, that's spooky. I don't know about that. If I want to go get terrified, I'm going to go pay my money and go to a haunted house. I don't want to come to church. But sometimes people come into church and they're looking for what's going to come around every single corner because they're scared. Look at your neighbor. See, relatable. Do you talk to a five-year-old like you talk to your grandfather? No. Why? Because they receive it at a different level. If we treated you like you, if we treated the person who you were when you first came here like we do now, you wouldn't be here anymore. Because you have to do this thing called grow in your faith. Come on, somebody say grow in your faith. So Luke 12, 2 through 3, I'm coming from the message. Listen to this. But Jesus, primarily concerned with his disciples, he said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast. Pharisee phonies. Um, uh, pho yeah, phonies. Yeah, I think that's correct. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Some people that you think are saved are not. Sometimes when I stand up here or when you see me and I say I'm okay, I'm not. Sometimes when you see people that you think are having a great life are really struggling. But we've gotten to this point in our society where we don't, we don't care. We don't care about the other. We don't care. I've literally seen women get out of their car and put the baby in the car seat while another child is running in the street and people walk by and talk about her and not help. So you're willing to allow this child to get ran over? In our neighborhood, we have these kids that have, like, these bikes. These kids be going nuts. Like, they be, they be going. One day, I was walking, and this kid was playing in the street. Don't know him, and he had darker skin, so I felt a little bit more comfortable. Just going to be honest. Y'all didn't get that? All right. So anyway, so I saw him, and I said, hey, uh, get out the street. Where's your mama? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, you live in that house right over there, right? I don't know what your number is, but I'm going to tell your mom. And there was something, I don't know if he really got it, but inside of me, I was like, I don't even know this kid's name. But what if I didn't say something and somebody was flying down the street and hit him? Who would have been responsible? Me, because I had an opportunity to save his life. You have opportunities all around you to save people's lives, but if we're silent, God misses his opportunity. When you don't say something, when you do not call evil what is evil, when you don't call what an ism is an ism, you get God's opportunity to meet that person. When you're sitting there with your girlfriend's drinking coffee and she's talking about a man that's putting her hands on him, you shouldn't say, girl, you should leave him. Your thing should be this, sweetheart, when does he go to work? I'm coming to pick you up. We're not even taking anything out of the house because he'll know that you've left. I got enough money. You can come and stay with me. What happens is, is that a lot of people will meet God when in your life privately before they meet him at an altar. When you do not say something in a moment, when you do not say something that makes you feel some type of way, God cries and he moans and groans because he's saying that was your opportunity. You could have said something and I could have shown up. 
Because how many of you guys know that when you witness to Christ, once all you're responsible for is mentioning his name. Afterwards, God does all the work. Look at your neighbor. Say, he does all the work. You see her with marks on her arms and her neck and the back of her legs. Like, like, and you don't say anything? Hey, Carol, good to see you. Hey, are you all right? That's ministry. Ministry doesn't always start with the Bible, but it ends here. We don't care about where you begin. We care about where you end. Is there any person in the room that you met Jesus out on a street, in a parking lot, in a, somebody's garage, in somebody's living room, in somebody's car, where somebody shared with you, I care about your life. Then it opened up your heart to God. Look at your neighbor and say, times are changing. But the kingdom does not. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't fake being holy with people. Y'all watch Friday? Remember when Craig's mom walked out the house and Cheryl was like, hey, she's like, hey. Your face can say something that your soul says something else. That's why we have to be very mindful of who wants to come over for dinner. Do they want to come over to build life or do they want to come over to steal from your building to build their own? You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, that mask is going to slip and your real face is going to show. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. I cannot stand up here and tell you all of this if God has not worked on me first. It is impossible for me to teach a message that God has not either taken me through or revealed me through something. So when I talk to you about reconciliation and forgiveness, there are people that I lead that come to even this church that are in my life that hate my guts, but I have to honor them. I've apologized for things that weren't my fault, but it made the other person feel better just to make sure that the relationship stays like current because it makes them more happy than me. Like you have to understand something. God isn't so interested in the how you do it. He's interested in how quickly. It's like spanking your kids for taking out the trash. Did they do it? Just leave them alone. They just had a bad day. Now, if they didn't do it, I mean, the government's watching. We don't. Yeah, we whoop. Well, I was whooped. I'll, te- I'll preach about the past, right? He says, you can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day's coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. Look at your neighbor say, your private life builds your witness. You cannot try to witness to somebody and tell them about the goodness of God when you secretly have a hate for someone else. That's irrational. If somebody were to walk in here and like shoot my sister and I hate that person for the rest of my life, God even says you're supposed to forgive them. Peter even says, how many times am I supposed to forgive? He says 70 times seven. So wait a minute. You do one thing against me, I'm supposed to forgive you 449 times? Yes, because forgiveness is for you, not for the person. So many times when we go and try to tell God about this, um, tell people about this God that's free, we're in bondage and chains to people that we haven't forgiven. I'm so free. And they're like, yeah, but you got some chains and some thread stuck to you. Look at your neighbor. Say, forgive. Number four, say your approach builds your witness. So there's basically three different people when it comes to witnessing about the, about the gospel. There are people who don't know him. There are people who know a little bit of him. And then there are people who want nothing to do with him at all. People who what? Don't know him. 
people that know of him and people that want nothing to do with him. But Jesus began to follow this pattern whenever he would run into any of these three people. You know what he would do? Write this down. He would assess their need. He would fulfill their need. And then he would connect their need to God. Anytime he saw a woman that was thirsty, what would he do? Give her some water. If man's was hungry, give him a sandwich. If somebody was hungry or they needed somebody, if their leg was broken, he would heal their leg. Because he realized if I fulfill your need, then you'll actually understand that the reason I was able to do that was because of the God that I serve. So here are some examples of how you can change your approach. A random act of kindness. I can't tell you how many times at the grocery store, hey, man, that's a really nice purse. Yeah, thanks. My husband left me. I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just trying to get some chicken. <laughs> I don't want to hear about all that. Hey, man, those shoes are fire. Yeah, for real, man, my granddaddy got me these shoes. His favorite color was red. Isn't it interesting that when you open up the opportunity, a lot of people just want to be talked to? Look at your neighbor. Say random acts of kindness. Man, you spell your name so, that's very unique. I love your name. Even if you don't come back to that person. The word of God says that we water seeds. And sometimes when you water the seed, it doesn't sprout. Sometimes it's going to take 10, 15 more people to do that. But look at your neighbor and say, I got to play my role. I got to play my role. How dare I call myself a man of God and see a 12-year-old floundering with his mother and not talk to him. Hey, man, respect your moms. If I don't, walk, if I don't say anything when I walk past that, I've told her what I think of her. And I told him that he's worth being thrown away. Another example of how you approach is through genuinely listening. How many of you have people that come to you and you're that person? They tell you their whole life. Do you know that when you genuinely listen to them, that's ministry. When they come to the house and they start talking to you and you pour them a cup of coffee and you intently listen to them and you're taking notes mentally and they say, man, girl, he did this. He did what? Tell me more. As long as it ends with an opportunity to fix the issue and not. Somebody say genuinely listen. Do you know that being polite is ministry? You ever met a rude person? I had a teacher. I'm not going to say her name. No, I'm, I, no, I'm not going to say her name because we're still in contact. We'll call her Miss H. We walk into the classroom. This woman was like mean, just creakety. And one day after um, one of our classes, one of our, one of our classmates said like, Miss Hummel, that's her name. I told her to watch this morning. Anyway, she's watching. Chill out. They're like, oh, he said it. She's going to come from it. He said, he said, ma'am, are you okay? And she broke down and her husband had had cancer. And the class prayed for her. And every day we allowed for her to be broken. Sometimes ministry is allowing somebody to be broken in your presence. When you come to this house, you don't have to be all together. When you're in my car, you can cry and weep. When you come in here, we can talk about him all day. As long as you allow me the opportunity to sow something in your life. You can complain. You can cry. You can vent all day. As long as at the end of it, I get to bless you with the oil that God gave me. You can talk about how he put his hands on you. You can talk about how you ain't got no money. You can talk about how you hate your life. You can talk about how you're suicidal. You can talk about how you have mental health. As long as once you're done with your coffee, I get to tell you about a man named Jesus and an environment called A. Where where you come, we take you as you are. What type of church doesn't receive broken people? 
What type of church doesn't receive people that don't have it all together? What type of church doesn't receive people because of the color of their skin, because of what they have in between their legs? Are you serious? The God that you are trying to say doesn't love them created them. You don't have to have it all together to come to church because if that was true, none of us would be here. If I had to have it all together every time that I teach, there would be a lot of empty Sundays up here. I don't have it all together, and I'm the pastor. How can we expect somebody that just walked in the door that literally was about to blow their brains out last night? How can we tell them you need to be able to speak in tongues? They don't even know. You're lucky I'm even here. The gun was in my lap at 11.59, and I saw something on Instagram with a one-minute video or a child was in the children's church. I'm like, let me just give God one more try. I don't want to stand I don't want to stand in between somebody's last try and the translation of Jesus Christ. I, I don't want to be the one that God, when I get up to the gates, yes, you get to come into heaven. But you remember that person that you turned away because you said that they weren't worthy for God? Well, they took their life the next day. I don't want that on my hands. I don't want the blood of the innocent on my hands. What I want is an open door policy. You want to get to Jesus? Let me give you a VIP access to get to him. Because somebody did the same for me. Another way, example of approaching. Is this good? We on the right track? Y'all still love me? Okay. Some people are like, mm. One way that you can approach building your witness is answering the question differently. You know what the question is? How are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Stop saying that. Like, stop. You make us look silly. And you make us look old and decrepit. And don't do that. Stop that. Do that amongst people that know him. I'm blessed and highly favored. People are like, what the heck? All right. I, did. I thought we were having Mexican. I was in the Mexican aisle and this dude flipped out. So we having chicken and rice tonight. You know how you can answer that question differently? Ask me. Somebody asked me, how are you doing? Man, I'm better than I deserve. What do you, what do you deserve? I deserve to be broken and homeless. I, I deserve to be in jail. I deserve to be dead. Really? T tell me more. Well, I got my life together. And, and I had some help. What? Yeah. So now I'm doing better. Well, how are you doing better? Well, there's a Starbucks in this baker's. Do you want to have a cup of coffee? When you answer the question different and it's relevant, you open up the door to somebody. Some people are not going to meet God because you are a Bible thumper. Some of the best salvation stories, I'm not going to look at y'all because I, I don't know about y'all. Some of the best salvation stories I've ever heard were where somebody was smoking the joint with the person. God's good and he, yeah, he is, man. I'm telling you. Like, it's this thing of, I, 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 I know what it takes to get out of this. And me being dirty, I can give my sin to God. But Jesus didn't, didn't pray for the lepers from afar. He was right next to them, giving them ministry. Sometimes if a person is brokenhearted, instead of trying to rip them out of their feelings, sit in there with them and bring the love of God where they are. Well, you can't be sad for two, three days. You were sad. He left you four years ago. You don't remember how frustrated you were? He tore you all up. You had soul ties. You had holes. And what happened? Some women that really loved you, that wanted nothing from you except for you to heal, sat with you like Job in your mess and said, whenever you're ready to get up, whenever you're ready to get up, take your time. Take your time. We're going to come out of this, but it's not tomorrow. Take your time. Take your time. What we got to do is have people the opportunity to come to the church and acclimate themselves to the atmosphere. I scare people with my faith, but you might not. 
everybody doesn't need to meet the pastor that comes with you. Because the oil that's on my life might not be the one that they need for their recipe. How many of y'all know that if you put olive oil in a, in a food that calls for canola oil, you're eating something different? Look at your neighbor and say, I got the oil. Number five. Is this good? Number five. You can't be a witness and be wounded. You can't be a witness and be How many of you know that if you have a splinter that you're not in 100% health? Sweetheart, am I right? If you don't have total holistic health in your body, you're not healthy. There's no such thing as a healthy person because all of us have complications. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we would say in the Bible. Like they would get that. No, like if you have a migraine, you're not healthy. If your family's right and your fitness is right, but your finances ain't right, you're not healthy. But how many of you guys know that you can't save people and bleed on them at the same time? So we have people that are walking around in church and uh, they're bleeding and they find other people that are bleeding and they transfuse their blood together to become like these super saiyan hurt people. A whole congregation full of people that were hurt by what somebody said, or they didn't put me on, or I didn't get the job, or, or they didn't invite me to dinner. I'm never in the photos. And it's just like nine times out of the ten, the person that you have animosity towards has no clue. Well, remember last week when blah, 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 blah. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, boo-boo. I'm sorry. But I need you to know why you're sorry. Is my sorry not enough? You want me to feel the pain that you felt because you thought it was rejection. That's tough. That's tough. So now we try to witness to people and they're trying to figure out, like, I, I want to hear what you got to say, but there's, I taste iron. Like, why are you bleeding all over me? Because then I start to look like the mess that you're still hurt from. Here we go. First Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on how you live and your, and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. One thing that we promote here at AWC is that if you're serving, you shouldn't be doing it broken. So what I try to challenge our team leads with is that if somebody comes to serve and they're not having a good day, just because they're on the schedule doesn't mean they have to serve. Have that person sit. Because they're a child of God before they're an, they're an usher. They're a child of God before they're in media. They're a child of God before they're on the worship team. I'm a child of God before I'm a pastor. I would hope that you would think I got the sense that if I'm broken and, and I'm bleeding, that I'm going to sit my happy tail down and let somebody else teach. Because I don't ever want to be responsible for bleeding on people that come to God with an innocent frame of mind. So number six, salvation starts with invitation. I'm going to tell you a story. So um, I, uh, I'm sorry? Okay. So um, I, I had a friend um, who came to church. Can you go to the third picture, please? Um, uh, this, this is my friend, Billy. And uh, me and Billy, this, this is my guy. So my really good friend from like fourth grade all the way through. And like, we were really close, but like, I never like went to the house like, I didn't, like, go to birthdays and stuff. Like, whenever I went over, all of his other friends that he would drink and smoke with, um, they would leave, and it'd be, like, 
two o'clock in the morning, he'd be like, hey, dog, can you come to the church? I mean, can you come to my house? And I ask my parents, like, you know, hey, Billy's going through. Can I, can I go say hi? And they'd be like, yeah, go ahead. Because you knew you had to, how many parents you hate being woken up? They could ask you, like, mom, I'm about to go rob a bank. Yeah, okay, just be home by noon. <laughs> mom, I'm sneaking a boy in. Okay, just turn the lights off. Just kidding, kidding. But me and Billy, um, I realized growing up that, like, when I would invite him to church, he wanted nothing to do with it because, like, in his personal life, so many people had promised him things, and they never came through with it. So I became his friend that was, like, sobering. So, like, he would get drunk and high, and then whenever I would come around, like, he would immediately become sober. And I was the kid growing up. Nobody wanted to invite me to do nothing. We're like, man, preacher boy coming. We don't want him around because I'd be like, we can get lit without drinking. Uh, we can get lit without drinking. Yeah, we can get lit without drinking. And, like, they'd be drinking like, man, I don't want to drink no more, man. Get him out of here. So I would go to the parties and make them corny. Everybody would be getting turned. And i walk in and everybody would be like. <laughs> but Billy was a really good friend of mine. Doesn't he have an amazing smile? Billy's a really good friend. So in high school, um, we ended up leaving high school, and we were, and he, he goes to uh, the, the Marines. Goes to Marines, serves once, comes back, and he changed. He was open, and he was a long border. Like, he was just like that super chill guy, and he came back, and he was different. And I met him um, my sophomore year in college, and if I tell you my testimony, my sophomore and junior year of college, not it. I questioned God. I questioned faith and religion. I told God, like, preach for what? Like, no. So in my dorm, one day I was standing on the balcony and I see this kid on a longboard. Haven't seen him in like four years. And I'm like, yo, Billy. He turns around, comes back through, and the next six months as I'm in the dorm, like, we become the best of friends again. Man, I was overseas. He went to Kuwait. Man, I was overseas. He went to Iraq. Like, literally, like, like the stuff. And he's like, man, everything's changed, but, like, as long as I got my longboard with me, I'm good. And then I was like, hey, man, well, would you like to come to church? He was like, no, nah, I'm not ready yet. I was like, okay. We could play Gears of War. That's cool. That's fun. I got a new controller anyway. <laughs> Later on, um, after college, Billy leaves. Billy leaves, and he goes to uh, uh, the Marines again. Goes again. Because how many of you guys know that sometimes when you give something a try a second time, if you don't find what you were looking for, you can go back to the mess that you were living in? Billy goes back to the Marines. And I lose contact with him. I lose his number. Uh, uh, I didn't get, wow. I didn't have any contact with his mother because I would check in on him. Uh, his mom would say, hey, Josh, can you go to Billy's dorm room and just knock on the door just to check if he's alive? And uh, I would go and I'd knock and he'd be like, Ugh. I'm like, all right, even if he's not sober, he's, he's alive. And I text his mom and I'd be like, yeah, he's all right. But uh, um, maybe you might want to call security and just like go, go. I don't want to walk in there because I never wanted to connect. I never wanted him to. I never wanted to see him in that. I don't want. Like, I wanted every time that he sees me, that for him to believe that I see him as Superman. You know what I mean? Like, you can be broken, but when you're in your lowest point, like, I don't have to see you that way. You have to have at least one person that sees you as Superman in your life. So everything was, was, was good with him. He goes, he goes to Iraq. He comes back. Now, can you go to the first picture? So he comes back to Omaha, and my long hood child friend, uh, I, I run into him. I call him Billford. Great guy. And I messaged him, and we ran into each other at the gym. 
And this is after like three years, right? So in school, college, four years, two years out, then he comes back. And uh, last year in September, which is like a month ago, um, uh, we met at the gym and I say, hey bro, those are the conversations I miss, man. Glad you're back in town. Totally committed to building a dope friendship again, not come to church. I want to build relationship with you. He says, definitely, man. Thanks. I'm stoked. We ran into each other. I feel the same. But two days later, I ran into him at the gym on Friday. He messages me and he says, hey, good morning, dude. 10 a.m., right? And I said, yes, sir. He says, see you there. And I say, heck yeah, brother. It took 17 years. But because I protected my witness, now God has an opportunity to protect you. Next picture. So he comes to church and he gives his heart to Christ. Right? So on the 8th, the next day, um, he, he signs it. He says, would you like to be contacted? Uh-uh. <laughs> he says, hey, how did you hear about us? He says, Josh, um, that's me. And he put his brother's phone number down. <laughs> so I called his brother and I was like, hey, Billy. He was like, no, this is his brother. And I was just like, oh, well, you're... Your brother came to church today, and he was like, and? And uh, the next Sunday, he brought his brother. Right? Next picture. So I didn't pray the salvation prayer with him. Miss Judy. My friend of 15 years got led to Christ by somebody that didn't even know him. Then the person that was on photos took a picture of my friend giving his heart to Christ. And then three weeks later, he took his own life. And I had to, I had to stand here. And I had to give my life to chasing after broken people when I felt that I missed out on my best friend. And uh, the thing that hurt me the most was afterwards that card and that text message, I put this collage up and it's in my office because it reminds me that this is why I do ministry. Because the person that's smiling all the time, you never know. You never know. And uh, I went to his funeral and I watched person after person talk about how they knew him, talk about how happy he was, Talk about how loving he was. And I never got that Billy. I got the Billy that was broken. I got the Billy that was abandoned by his father. I got the Billy that would black out drunk so that he didn't have to think about the lives that were taken away from him while he was in war. Because war is a real thing. It's not a joke. I got the Billy that was questioning if life was a thing. There were multiple nights I would sit with him crying on the floor because he was ready to take his own life. And he said, if you could just stay up with me and I could see the sun, like maybe I could make it. So my grades began to slip. While I'm still going through my own thing, I'm trying to figure out if I want to marry her. I'm trying to figure out if I want to do this. I'm trying to figure out if God is even real. But I know God is real enough for me to be real to another person. So I sat with him. A grown man, huge. I mean, he's a big, he's, he was a big guy, crying, throwing up stuff because he had taken some stuff. And I didn't condemn him for what he put in his body, but I loved him through what he was going through. 
On that day, I made a couple of promises when I was up here because his life, he, uh, he, get, he took his life two weeks before I gave my life to ministry. And I sat here and I promised that I was going to give my life for every broken person, every person with a story, every person that's addicted, regardless of what it is, if it's, a, if it's pornography or if it's too much sugar, I promised God that before I die, I'm going to win some other souls for you. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I might not even be the one that prays for him, but I'm not going to get jealous because the word says that every time that somebody gives their heart to Christ, that heaven goes nuts. Even if it's just one person, the angels stop singing holy, 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 and they sing welcome home to the person that's there. Billy should be here. And for an entire year, I couldn't forgive myself because I felt I didn't do enough. But the Holy Spirit wrapped me up a couple days ago and he said, you didn't do anything, but you were there. You asked him, how are you doing? I didn't have money on my meal card. I had one more meal left and I gave it to him because he hadn't eaten in a week. I could go home. You can't. When somebody sits in these purple chairs, and I'm not trying to be like super emotional or spiritual, but I want to let you know that this is a real person. How many billies do you have in your life? How many do you have in your life that are drinking themselves to death? How many do you have that you work with that are not happy? How many people in your family are broken and you don't want to deal with the inconvenience? How many Christmases have passed because you're uncomfortable around your drunk uncle? How many Thanksgivings have passed because they got divorced and now when they come over, these kids have to come. And when they come, these kids. What if we got to the point where your living room became the place where people got healed? What if we became the point where the sanctuary began to smell like sin, began to smell like addiction, but at the end of it, God's blood came and filled the room and what people started out as, they turned into something different. The sermon series is called, Can I Get a Witness for This Last Sermon Today? I didn't want to share with you this. I still feel like I failed him. I still feel like he should still be here. I still feel that I failed you. I still feel it, but I know that there is a God that when he gave his heart, I don't know. We, people say that when you, when you take your own life, you go to hell. We don't know. But what I do know, what I do know, go back to the, to the, to the card, please. That on September the 8th, 2019, my friend gave his heart to Christ. How many of these, how many more of these do we need how many in your life how many people in your family do you know that need to come to Christ how many do you know I don't have all the answers for what you're going through but I got an answer and his name is Jesus I don't have all the answers of what you're dealing with with addiction but I got an answer his name is Jesus I don't know what you're going through you're just trying to figure it out you ain't got your money you ain't got no family we're in a pandemic but I will lay myself down to make a bridge for you to walk to the man of God a lot of people, they can't see themselves over the moat or over the cavern. It's lava. It's a river of lava. And they can't get over it, but they see Jesus. I think what God is looking for is a couple of us to turn our invitation into his salvation. 
where I invite somebody not to church, but to a relationship. I invite somebody not to a building, but to relationship, to community. When he gave his heart to Christ, he wasn't just my brother, but he became my brother in Christ. I'm not interested in any more friends. I'm not really interested in more serving members. Not really interested, and we got the bread for it. We could bring all of your favorite pastors for 52 weeks and still have money left over to pay salaries. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is how many of these can we get? Or somebody can say, I used to be an alcoholic, but I gave my life to Jesus. I used to be a manipulator. I used to be addicted to pornography, but I gave my heart to Christ. Because every single person in this room, you used to be a, and now you are a. I used to be a drunk. Now I love Christ. I used to be confused with my sexual identity, but now I know that I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I used to be mentally psychotic. I got some therapy and I got some counseling and I took my medicine, but I also took some blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago that made me even better than who I am today. What would happen, church, if we stopped asking, can I get a witness? And if we started saying, can I get a ride? Can I get a ride to church? Hey, man, send me the Addy, bro. Send me the link. Some of the people, young men that are in the room that you play Xbox with, the only reason why they're alive is because you joined the party. Some people, the only reason why they show up to work is because you're there. There's this thing around you. So I don't know what it is about you, but you're different. My question is, are you going to allow your invitation to be an invitation to God's salvation?